0: I'm John Kane, and this is Resistance Radio. I want to thank you for joining me here uh, the day after most of you celebrated your Thanksgiving, and I'm going to address that. Um, I want to welcome uh, those of you listening on WPFW, Jazz and Justice Radio in Washington, D.C. I want to remind listeners that we are listener-supported radio, and we rely almost exclusively on your contributions to this radio station and, of course, without this radio station, I wouldn't be on the air. So uh, I appreciate if uh, if you support this show by supporting the uh, the radio station. And you can go to the pledge line. That's 202-588-9739. Or go online to wpfwdc.org slash donate. Make a contribution of any size, a one-time donation, a time donation. Or you can become a sustaining member of the station by... Uh, providing your credit card or checking account information and making a modest weekly or monthly contribution. I'm sorry. Uh, Whether it's $5, $10, $15, $20, whatever, it becomes uh, money that we can count on and we can uh, we can budget. So we greatly appreciate you supporting this this fine radio station. All right. Last week I said, um, wow, it's national Native American Heritage Month. Who knew? And then I I kind of laid out some of the obstacles that really giving any attention to Native people, um, those obstacles that that happened during the month of November, including yesterday, uh, what most people will celebrate as Thanksgiving. And look, I don't have uh, a problem with, <laughs> certainly I don't have a problem with, with families gathering and giving thanks and, and counting their blessings and 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 all of that, most of the opposition that you hear from Native people relating to Thanksgiving is the false narrative that was created. This this idea of happy little pilgrims and happy little Indians, and you know, and the first Thanksgiving and all of that stuff, and that that isn't true. It's basically pretty you know, pretty much a lie. Um, the first declared Thanksgiving was. By the the colonists who had just massacred a massive amount of Native people, and their governor or whatever you, uh, his title was, de- declared that they should offer a day of Thanksgiving for having been so victorious in the in the wiping out of uh, of Native people, and that is why the Wampanoag began. Geez, I want to say back in the seventies declaring what Americans celebrated Thanksgiving as their national day of mourning. And that's kind of taken off. I mean, and and it started out with protests at Plymouth Rock and all kinds of other stuff. And and I was offered by by the station to do a show yesterday um, to commemorate the national day of mourning. But I, I declined. I declined because, look, have your holiday. And. I don't need to be on the air for 2 2 hours talking, you know, talking about that those atrocities because that's most of what you guys are you guys aren't celebrating that for the most part. And if shame on your schools if they're still teaching children this this myth Stay, shame on any of you who still have this belief that somehow Thanksgiving is a celebration of diversity or of you know, cooperation, none of that stuff. So I didn't want to do a, do a show on that. <clears throat> and, and I also didn't want to just be background noise while people were watching football and eating dinner and that kind of stuff. So, uh, so no, I, I really didn't want to participate and I knew I had today's show, <clears throat> but I got to tell you, uh, after I did last week's show news broke, I got word that the New York state department of education had, issued a a memorandum to all schools and schools with native mascots in particular, telling them they had to get rid of them, that there was essentially this was tantamount to a ban. Not by the New York state legislature, like, you know, six or seven other states have done, but by the New York state department of education, they issued a ban against schools using native people for mascots. So i got to tell the story. i got to tell you how that came to be. Now, m- many of you know that I've been involved in the mascot issue. And, and I have to say, initially, you know, several decades ago, I just weighed in on, on many of the, the debates that was happening, both with professional teams like the Cleveland baseball team and the, and the Washington football team um, and, and, of course, schools. And, and I've been doing that for, you know, for several, several decades. But then, oh about ten years ago, I started getting more involved and in fact, I was being asked by schools to come in and explain the native perspective on the mascot issue and and why we opposed it trying to make predominantly white people understand why it was wrong and and look, I've got to say that that some of these people simply didn't know they, they, they couldn't wrap their heads around it they You know, they. Of course, we all know the default has always been to claim, "Well, no, we're doing it to honor you." No, you really didn't do it to honor us. That's what you're trying to use as justification now. You're trying to understand something that after the fact as to why it exists today. So that's what I used to do, and and I got asked by several schools, some in New York State, some you know uh, Maryland, uh, Pennsylvania, you know California, uh, Illinois. I you know literally probably a dozen or so schools that I that I specifically weighed in on. And oftentimes at the behest of a committee, a school board, or a school board member. So that's what I did. But lurking all the while, especially with some of the success that, that I was able to participate in, lurking all the while was the fact that I graduated from a school that had a Native mascot, Cambridge, New York, in upstate New York, in the, in the kind of the capital district area, you know, closer to Saratoga than Albany. But you know, for those of you who want to look it up on a map, I guess. Um, but that's where I graduated from high school. And they were the Cambridge Indians. And I have to say, back when I was in school, the mascot was, was a non-issue. It wasn't this ubiquitous image, you know, you know, st- strewn through the halls on on every flat surface of the school, the way it is today. It was it was a, it was a non-issue, but I was cognizant of it. And of course, in the school that I graduated from, Cambridge, I was essentially the only native kid there. My sister and I, you know, my my siblings, and and I had a sister who was a, a couple of years older than I was. We were probably, and I can't say for certain, but In all likelihood, we were probably the first two Native kids to graduate from Cambridge Central School, otherwise known as the Cambridge Indians. Now, we were not tokenized. Nobody ever claimed that we were the Cambridge Indians. And, you know, and and of course, there wasn't the again, the the sense of identity theft where where people in town ran around calling themselves the Indians. It was just this kind of logo that was in the background. And it was like a Plains Indian um, headdress on a, you know, that was on, that that was their logo. It wasn't something that was, you know, there was no political statement really behind it. But I will say, as, you know, one of the only Native kids in the school, <laughs> uh, and, and both my sister and I did experience some of the the taunts, and and a lot of times I would say that that it was not necessarily meant to be really mean it was it was it was kind of like clowning around kind of thing at least for me i think my sister experienced it a little differently than i did i was a, a kind of a you know a, a bit of a presence in my class so the, the whole idea that i would be uh, called names like squanto or uh, chief or wapu or somebody who wanted to be real, a real smart ass and call me uh, pocahontas or something like that that was something that was probably more geared towards the fact that that most of those white folks never saw a native person before. It had really le- probably less to do with the mascot issue. But it was after I graduated, and and, and let's uh, let me let me just say it was clear that I was native. There, there was no hiding it. Um, I didn't attempt at uh, make any attempt at white passing. You know, so everybody knew who I was and and I guess what I was. So. I just want to make sure that, that people people understand that. But after I graduated, and I got more involved in Native issues. My, you know, my wife is Oneida, my children are are Oneida. Uh, I live. I have lived on several Native territories, uh, including you know Oneida and Mohawk territory. Now I live in Seneca territory. So this idea of being Native and is is who I am. I mean, it's, it's my life and it's what I do. You know, I, the mascot issue isn't the only issue that I've ever, you know, stepped up to. I have, you know, I not only do this as a radio show to talk about these issues, but beyond this, I've been active on a lot of issues associated with taxation and sovereignty, uh, you know, children, you know, any, any number of things. So this is who I am. I am not somebody whose distant relative You know, according to family lore, was you know a Cherokee princess, and I'm not just the descendant of somebody who who may have may or may not have been an enrolled member of a tribe. No, this is who I am. This is this is what I do. So I became more active, and and at some point I realized that I was going to have to um, address this with my with my old high school. So I started out by by crafting a petition, and this was over two years ago crafting a petition, and in the midst of me doing this, the Washington football team dropped its name. The Cleveland baseball team had already gotten rid of their logo, but hadn't changed the name yet. So two years almost to the day that this announcement came from, from NYSED, I went out to my uh, to the school, out to my old high school in Cambridge, New York, six-hour drive from where I live here on the Cattaraugus territory of the Seneca Nation, and I formally asked the school board to retire its native mascot. I said, look, it's long overdue. It's long. And, and I gave some of the history. <clears throat> and some of that history includes the commissioner of the New York State Department of Education 20 years prior sending out a memo telling schools to change, change the mascots. But they didn't, they didn't order a definitive... Um, deadline for doing so, and in, in fact, Commissioner Mills at that time told them that they they, they needed to take the steps and they needed to do it in a time that was practical. So basically, kind of gave them free reign to take their time to do it, and the expectation was clear that Mills thought, okay, phase it out as you replace uniforms, as you you know replace signage, or you know do whatever you've got to do, just get rid of it. You didn't have to you know, go through with a wholesale wiping of every image on your school walls. That's not what he was suggesting. He said, retire the mascot and then phase out its usage. And many schools did. A lot of schools did. But not all of them. Many of them dug in. But I will say, in the wake of both the Washington football team dropping its name and the Cleveland baseball team, Ultimately, dropping its name. We had another wave of schools that said, "Yeah, we got to get out of this." And and let's be clear: the reason that pro teams like Washington and Cleveland did it was because of the pressures that were being put on, predominantly by native people I- initially. But ultimately, it wouldn't be until moneyed interests like FedEx, who was the sponsor of the Washington Football Team's uh, stadium, uh, Nike, Amazon, uh, Walmart. I mean, Target. All the all these big-name retailers who were retailing the merchandise from these, uh, these teams, Washington and, and Cleveland, they, they weighed in. And, and they wouldn't have done it had we not initiated our protests about that. And, and I got, and I got to give credit where it's due, it probably wouldn't ha- have happened had it not been for the Black Lives Matter movement in the wake of Sandra Bland and Breonna Taylor and George Floyd there was a real stirring of social consciousness. And we owe a certain amount of credit to the the Black Lives Matter movement for raising that consciousness. Because look, we saw Columbus statues toppled at the same time Confederate statues were being toppled. And it was in the wake of the Black Lives Matter movement that those pressures mounted against the Washington football team to drop its racial slur of a name. So this is something that we've been at for 50, 60 years. You know, some of us, you know, I'm, I'm in my 60s, so I wasn't doing it as a child, but certainly as an adult, I've become more and more involved in this, uh, engaged in this. So back to Cambridge. So I, I make my plea in November. I come back again to present a, uh, because they didn't actually put me on the agenda. I just had to do it during the public comment. They put me on the agenda for December. I went back again. And I think I had swayed probably four out of, out of the five school board members that this had to happen. But, and I say this is a big, but, um, but there was a real concern about the backlash because I knew going out to Cambridge, I knew what the community sentiment was going to be. They were going to be pissed that, that that because again, let me go back to Mills. When Mills made his um, or, or, or told told schools to change his thing back in two thousand one, Cambridge didn't do it. Cambridge didn't change. One guy whose kids didn't graduate from there, <laughs> whose I think grandkids were going from that school, who I knew a guy, a guy by the name of Dave Hanyos. He basically stood up as a native guy, and he was um, Oneida. He stood up as a native guy and said, no, they fully support uh, support the use of uh, Indians as a, as a mascot and a, and a nickname. So he essentially wiped out the debate. He did, however, say that they should change the logo from that Plains headdress um, profile of a native person and do something that is more uh, representative of the uh, of of the Eastern Woodlands uh, native that would be, had been more indigenous to that area. Now I got to say, Cambridge calling themselves the Indians, they never define what Indians they claim to be. In fact, if you were asked the average person in Cambridge, what Indians are you? They couldn't even tell you. They they know nothing about native history. So when one guy stood up and look, I wasn't called into this debate. So when this one guy who I've known for, for most of my life, who now passed away, Stood up and said, uh, "You know that he supported keeping it." The debate was over, so, 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 so they closed the book on 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 that conversation. And since that time, Cambridge just expanded the use of their mascot and their and their logo and their name. I mean, it is it's on folding chairs. It's on the the cafeteria workers and the janitorial staff have the logos embroidered on their uniforms. I mean, it is freaking everywhere. You walk through the halls, it's hanging on the walls. There's murals, garage doors in the, uh, where they keep all their equipment, huge images of, of, of this thing, the gym floor. it's, it, so rather than taking the cue from the commissioner in 2001, Cambridge actually expanded and really went over the top with it. Now, some of that some of that came with the success of Cambridge Cambridge having success in uh, with their football team and they, they've been considered a bit a bit of a you know a dynasty I guess and, and the and that school still having very good success today as a, as a football team so those kind of things went went hand in hand but regardless I knew I had these these school board members kind of, you know, leaning, you know, leaning towards uh, towards what I was uh, uh, requesting. And look, they had already began a um, diversity, equity, inclusion program, which kind of can't coexist with using a racial stereotype for your school mascot. So they knew that they were they were running into trouble. And I talked with the school, the the superintendent of the school. And, you know, and I got a real sense from him that, that he understood this had to go. But they wanted to try to manage the, the the public sentiment. As it looked like this was going um, my way with the school board, the pressure started mounting. In fact, it got so bad that one of the school board members quit. So now they only had four, four people on the school board. They were going to do a vote after the beginning of the year. So like in March, they were supposed to be doing a, a vote on this thing. And they put it off. Instead, they hired a firm to come in that was going to help mediate the anxiety over the potential change of a mascot. They, they were going to do healing circles and, and, and it went, it went very badly. It went went very badly, but they spent $50,000 on that alone. So they pushed off the vote. They were going to do it at the end of the school year. So they're going to do it in June. So when the June board, uh, well, (laughs) let me take this back before the, uh, The the June board meeting was the election for new school board members. Now, there was a vacancy created by the one who quit. And there was another school board member who was um, uh, who who was not going to run for reelection. So two candidates ran solely on the mascot issue. It was their one issue um, that they, they were running on. They were they were pro mascot and they, they won rather convincingly. And in fact, they tried to treat their election onto the school board as uh, a referendum on, and of course, there is no referendum on, on using mascots. Nobody, nobody does that. Um, so there was never really a referendum on, on whether the, the town uh, supported having a native mascot. So two were, were, were candidate elects, so to speak. One of them would be seated Immediately at that June board meeting because of the vacancy, the other one wouldn't uh, wouldn't be seated until July. So now you had a, a, a board that was uh, that was full. It was five, five people. And what was once a four to one um, tilted board towards changing it was now a three to two tilted board because one of them, the, the one board member who was seated immediately was um, uh, was very pro mascot. So they're going to do the, the board election or the election for the, this the, over the mascot issue. And what was proposed was a well-crafted, detailed resolution to retire the mascot. And, you know, it, it included all the, the native uh, organizations, the, the nations, the, the organizations, the, the psychological associations, the child development experts, uh, you know, all those, all the evidence to the harm and to the wishes that native people had, uh, for these, these things to go away. And again, native organizations, NCAI, the national journalists association, it was, it was an overwhelming amount of evidence that the school board had collected for retiring the the mascot versus locals just saying they liked it. And it was their tradition. And, and then you had, Again, you had white people saying, no, it's all about honoring people. And that was well addressed. I mean, that was addressed by Commissioner Mills you know, 20 years ago. He said, look, for those of you who think that you're honoring, that's not the way Native people view it. He made it very clear 20 years ago. So at the last minute, they decided not to make that vote. They did not submit that resolution for a vote. Instead, some and this happened in real time in front of, in front of you know, the people who attended this meeting. They decided, we're going to come back in a week, and we're going to craft a compromise resolution. Now, this compromise resolution was essentially going to say, oh, we're still going to keep the name, but we're going to change the logo, again, like they had when Mr. Hanyos had suggested it. And and I suspect that when they, they really talked about changing the logo, it was going to be something like taking Cambridge, the C in Cambridge, and... And dangling some feathers off the back because they were already doing that on some occasion so they were probably going to do away with the actual native image but they were still going to be called the Cambridge Indians so that's what they crafted for a a compromise resolution so they came back a week later they read that compromise resolution and it failed it lost two four three against so then the president of the school board put the original retirement resolution up for, uh, uh, you know, up for vote and it passed three to two. So as of June of 2021, the, uh, the Cambridge Indians was supposed to be uh, retired. The problem was a month later when that other school board member was voted, they turned around and they rescinded that resolution and they passed a resolution to reinstate it. Now, as I said, when they, the, the resolution as it was read to retire the thing had all of the information on it, it was it was it had a litany of evidence reports resolutions from you know again from from, from professional services to to individual native uh, native territories when they rescinded it and they reinstated the the Indians they gave no explanation there, there was no justification there was they didn't do anything. To refute the evidence that they had collected to retire it, they just reversed it. So then, some of the families and I have to say, when I went out to when I went out to Cambridge, so let me back up just for a second. When I went out to Cambridge, I knew that it was going to be me against the world kind of thing, and I and I had a view that I only had to convince a majority of a small school board. And. And I will say that some of my old classmates, and I graduated a long time ago, back in 1970, some of my old classmates supported what I was doing. They didn't really come out and, you know, uh, stand on the front lines with me. But you know what? Some families in that town did. In fact, Cambridge had a group that would ultimately call themselves Cambridge for Social Justice. And it might have been two dozen um, people, you know, um, couples, families, or whatever. Not a lot of people. I'm sure it was... You know, it was less than 50 that became very committed to, to changing this thing. And they spoke at school board meetings and they, they wrote letters to the editor and they wrote letters to the board. And, yeah. and so I had a very active local group of non-Native people. These are white people who were who who knew that this thing had to go. And they and they had their own personal stories about what was wrong with it and, and what their children experienced and that kind of stuff. Well, five of those um, couples that were part of the support that I had in Cambridge submitted a petition to the New York State Department of Education, uh, calling the um, the rescinding resolution or the reinstatement of the of the mascot resolution arbitrary and capricious, and an abuse of the board's uh, um, discretionary authority, and. The commissioner, who was no longer Mills, this was—he was twenty years ago. The, the the new commissioner, Dr. Betty Rosa, agreed with those families, so she ordered that the retirement resolution be reinstated and gave Cambridge until the end of that school year or something like you know to to actually start getting rid of the the imagery. Now, the original resolution that that, that um, the retirement resolution. Again, called for for schools to start phasing it out, you know, or that or Cambridge would phase out the the uh, the imagery. Now, Cambridge already wasn't putting it on their sports uniforms because many of their teams had merged with other school districts, which which also makes the whole mascot thing kind of problematic. Cambridge's football team was not just Cambridge anymore; it was Cambridge Salem, another little town in in um, a few miles away. So, they had already. Pretty much began the process of eliminating the mascot at least on the school uniforms. It was still everywhere else on the school, but not but, but not on the uniforms. But when when Rosa made her ruling, she made it clear they had to start. They had to watch, take the letterheads down, the, the the web banners down, the signs down, all that stuff. Um, and then the the school board, by a vote of three to two again, decided to sue. Dr. Rosa and the New York State Department of Education in state supreme court, and they lost there. Now I have to say, at this point in the game, once Rosa had made this ruling against Cambridge, I started my own campaign to, nice said to the New York State Department of Education, saying, "Look, you've ruled that Cambridge shouldn't must retire its mascot. Rule that they all shouldn't. You need you need to issue a ban." Now I had a lot of people, even my friends in Cambridge, who said. No, you're not going to get the uh, New York State Department of Education to, to issue a ban. It has to go through the legislature. I'm not a big fan of the political process. Uh, you know. So I said, fine, you guys do that, but I'm pushing on, uh, on the commissioner. And, and I, I wrote letters to the editor in the, in the, in the newspapers in, in the Albany area. I made sure that Dr. Rosa knew that there were people like me who were pushing her to do more. Because here's the thing. Until Rosa had given that that order to Cambridge, the New York State Department of Education had been silent for almost 20 years, which to me is really problematic. There should have been a constant drumbeat. So when Mills tells them in 2001 to get rid of it and do it in a time that's practical, nobody was ever saying, okay, time's up, time's up, or time is going away. Nobody ever did that. And so when Rosa issues this order against Cambridge, all of a sudden, you've got Cambridge saying, "Well, they're just picking on us. They're not telling other schools to, uh, you know, to retire the thing. They're just, they're just picking on." Us. Now, Rosa goes in the newspaper uh, in an interview and says that and recommends that all schools make the change. But she was only recommending it in a newspaper. It wasn't even coming from NYSED to these schools. And I still found that problematic. And I said, "Look, you could save." Not just dozens. I mean, there's between sixty and a hundred schools in in New York State that still have native mascots. You could save every one of those school districts the turmoil that Cambridge went through, because you know those four, you know those those you know forty or fifty uh, people who supported me, their lives were hell. I got to come home. I live on the other side of the state, so I went to went to Cambridge and I started up a, you know a hornet's nest, and those people had to live there, and I and I felt bad about that. I almost regretted the support that I got because I knew what they were going to go through. And that included school board members who were threatened. Like I said, one of them quit. So this is how much hate, anger, and vitriolic behavior stirs up. When you tell, I mean, I, I, I once posted a meme, I says, you know what's worse than white people using Native people for a mascot? Their behavior when you tell them it's wrong. And, and that's what we saw there. So I'm, I was pounding on, on Dr. Rosa saying, look, you need to save all these other communities this hassle. Because you know what? There are probably a significant number of school boards throughout the state who would love to get rid of this thing. Who would love to, to stop promoting a stereotype as you know, for their amusement and entertainment. They would love to do that. But they're afraid of, their, they're afraid of the people of the town. And, and we could argue, who are the constituents of a, of a school board? Is, is it the town members that vote that them in, or is it the students that they are responsible to? So I kept kept going on this. Now, now keep in mind, you know, Cambridge had already been spending thousands and thousands of dollars. Like I said, $50,000 for this um, uh, mediator to come in to try to soothe feelings. Um, now they were suing, so they're spending, you know, spending more they, they were bringing in their their lawyer to help craft these uh these resolutions I mean so they were starting to the, the legal fees and, and the cost of trying to keep the mascot was really mounting up pretty high so when they lost in court they filed their notice to appeal the court ruling now now both Rosa who held hearings on this and and had both the families and the school board's legal counsel, Argue in front of them about about keeping the mascot and, and and passing a resolution without any evidence to to reinstate the mascot. She listened to all that and she said it was it was abundantly clear that Cambridge had no position. They had no position for keeping it other than they just liked it. When it went to court, Judge McGinty, the 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 acting Supreme Court Justice who heard the case, said the same thing. Cambridge never mounted any meaningful defense of the use of this mascot. And we know that the the New York State Department of Education had issued um, a directive 20 years ago to change this thing. And by the way, when Mills did that in 2001, it was challenged, and it had to withstand some legal challenges then. But here's the thing. Since Mills did that, New York State passed the Dignity for All Students Act which is a specific law that is is geared towards preventing uh, bullying and discrimination, including racial discrimination. It essentially all by itself would suggest that using a racial stereotype of another people or, or marginalized people um, is unlawful. They also, again, as, as like many schools and, and businesses that matter, the, the, um, Board of Regents and the New York State Department of Education was really pushing this idea of diversity equity inclusion programs for schools so they could again try to mitigate some of the tensions that uh, that exist between students because of the way they were raised by their parents so so all of this w- was happening since Mills did his uh, letter in 2001 and this is what Dr. Rosa had to work with this is what, Judge McGinty had to had at her disposal to consider so again, Cambridge decides they're going to file their notice of appeal and they're going to, and they're going to appeal this court ruling with with even less grounds to stand on uh, as this process played out so it was in the midst of that that last week the New York State Department of Education not and it wasn't dr. Rosa it was her her deputy commissioner. Uh, by the name of Baldwin, he issued a two two page memorandum and basically said by the end of the 22, 23, which is this June school year, they have to retire the mascots. Now, he didn't say they had to get rid of every image on every surface. He didn't say that. He, you know, he basically said you have to retire the mascot. You have it has to be gone. In other words, he said finally after after twenty two years, twenty one years, times up. That practical time that that Mills suggested in twenty twenty one, you guys have dragged your feet. And and in fact, schools like Cambridge, they didn't just not uh, uh, get rid of the mascot. They expanded the use of it. So that's what came about. And and I tell the story because. For, for a couple of reasons one because I'm proud of the work that I did and, and the and the families that supported what I was doing in Cambridge because it's the Cambridge fight that has led to a New York State statewide ban on the use of native mascots and you know look, and, I, and I hear schools I mean I, I've seen it's been starting to get more and more widely covered although I still think some of the points are being missed any school says well how can they expect us to get rid of this thing by the end of the school year you know what they didn't they expect you to get rid of it in twenty in, in twenty in 2001, when Mills told you to get rid of it 20 years ago. That's when they, they expected you to start phasing it out, and you didn't. So any of you who dug in, well, shame on you, and I have no sympathy for you. Because if it costs you you dollars know, $20,000, $30,000, if you've got to repaint your gym floor because you decided in the last 20 years to adorn it with a mascot, well, shame on you for doing that. And shame on you for spending money that is supposed to go to your kids on this nonsense. I mean, I'd argue that the school mascots should be done away with completely. Frankly, especially, like I said, I, I consider not just Cambridge, but many of the schools, the schools that my grandkids go to in, in both um, New York State and in, uh, in in Pennsylvania. Those schools have had to merge. They can't. They can't sustain a sports program based on a, on. On a, a student population or or their budgets. So they have to they have to pool resources. So why should one school's mascot t- take precedent over the other school that they merged with? Just do away with the mascot. Call your team by the by the school name. But but again, if you're gonna keep a mascot, then then don't use people. We are not mascots. And and it's absurd that we still have to have this conversation. After this many years, because, you know, when I went to Cambridge, I laid a lot out. I And, and among the things I laid out is at the very time that all these schools and professional teams were, were using Native people, misappropriating our images, our, our reference to us or, you know, or our names for your teams, Native kids were being ripped from their, ho- their homes And I talked about this widely on the the program, so I know you're you're not hearing this for the first time. But kids were being ripped from their homes and they were having the Indian beaten out of them. So how absurd is it that white kids not only could play Indian and, and, and take that identity for themselves as a part of their school, as a part of their education, while Native kids were having it beaten out of them? You know, and I said this, when news started breaking about all of the unmarked graves that were being confirmed, and I don't want to say discovered, but confirmed on the Canadian side, and U.S. hasn't even started this, by the way, I would have thought that, you know, shame and guilt would have settled in on some of these schools. I, you know, look, yes, the pro teams dropped the names, which, which had some impact. But at some point, when you start learning the truth, then... <laughs> then you would think you would think you would show a little grace and say yeah we shouldn't do this anymore you know in in many of the schools that have this uh, have, that have had this debate it's been student led the movement to change the mascot in cambridge the students were left out of the conversation completely it wasn't until just before the vote to retire and one of the one of the things that influenced the the school board president at the time was the valedictorian of Cambridge who was graduating that at, you know, at that graduation within weeks or perhaps she had already graduated, I don't know, but, but she had issued a letter to the school board, basically condemning the use of the mascots. And so here's your best and brightest, you know, you know, a, 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 you know, a young lady who, who was so, you know, well-spoken about the subject telling you to change it. And, you know, and, and of course, I'm sure that she re- received some, some hate mail and, uh, and some vitriol for, for taking the, the position that she took. So, but I, but I bring this up for a couple of reasons. One of which is because, like I said, I, I'm proud of the work that we did to make this happen. But the, one of the other reasons I bring it up is because this was not a national campaign. This wasn't a bunch of iconic um, activists that others have come to know—the the names and the faces that that you know that that seem to you know uh, lead the charge on, on so many of these you know what, Standing Rock or, or or whatever, even even the fight against Washington. No, this was me, one person, and and look, I I I'll. Uh, I'm, a, I'm an activist. A- am I as prominent as some of the, the, you know, the, the key figures, the iconic figures? Uh, probably not. <laughs> but it was just me. And not me as an activist alone, but as a, as a graduate. I graduated from Cambridge. So I went back to my old high school and I was joined by a couple of dozen, a couple of dozen other people. And we took on one school that dug in so deeply and expressed such anger. And, and look, they were embarrassing. I mean, some of the, the national news was actually covering. I mean, Washington Post, New York Times, they were they were covering some of the absurd comments that were coming out of Cambridge. And, and they have documented the absurd amount of money. Look, Cambridge is a town where 40% of its residents live below the poverty line. It is not a school that has abundant resources this, this isn't a, a school in Long Island. this is a a rural school you know a small school and and a, and a school that doesn't have these kind of resources. It's a farm community. And I don't say that to be disparaging at all I mean it's but but it, it's what it is. and when when Baldwin issued this you know this ban essentially, he said, look, and, and this was also mentioned by, by Rosa in her order to, to Cambridge, that failure to comply could result in us removing some of your school officers, meaning superintendent and board members, or cutting your funding. Cambridge relies, fifty 56% of Cambridge's budget comes from the state. They can't afford to, to lose state funding, and nor should they. I mean, it's... It, you know it's is it a bit of an idle threat? Yes, it probably is. Is the removal of uh, school officers a bit of an idle threat? Yeah, perhaps. But it was clear that this that New York State Department of Education has the authority to do both. And so rather than risk funding, I mean they should just comply, but instead they're, they're digging in and they're spending they're spending money that should be going to the kids. You know, to fight this thing. I mean, it's absurd. I got to think by now, most of the Cambridge residents probably know that that the mascot has to go. And the fact that you've got, still have three school board members, one in particular, who is so adamantly belligerent over this issue, is part of the reason... You know, and, and I've got to say, it's part of the reason, you know, that that NISAD dug in or, or, or NISAD issued its its order. But here's the other thing: part of what what um, what Cambridge was arguing was that they were being picked on and that they were being singled out by Well That argument's gone now, you know. And so all you other schools who are, are wondering why all of a sudden you got this letter, well, Cambridge is part of the reason for that. I mean, it should have come anyway. But Cambridge, as well as some people like me. Force this issue. We we told Rosa, you can't just order one school and leave everybody. Else. Are you going to want sixty other schools to submit petitions because families in those because there are families in every one of those communities who know that this mascot thing is wrong in every one of them. So, are you really going to you know, wait for uh, for petitions to be submitted and then have to do hearings and rulings on every one of them? And and again, in the meantime, let these towns just boil over. Give those school, board, uh, school boards a break. You know, I had hoped when I went to Cambridge that when I made my plea that the school board would have just voted, right, you know, almost immediately and said, look, <clears throat> our hands are tied here. There's not a whole lot we can do. The evidence is clear. So I know the community wants this, but we see what the trend is. We know what other schools have done? We've been being we, we've been asked for twenty years to do this. We see pro teams that are dropping these names. You know, we, we've just got to do it. We we don't really have a choice, and that's what I hoped. I hoped I could have convinced the school board to make a ruling based on their assessment that they don't really have a choice. And and ultimately, I think they did. At least three of them did until the, until the board majority flipped. But I think now after Cambridge spending a hundred thousand dollars in their fight to keep this mascot and, and they've still, since this, this came out, they still said they're going to try to appeal, uh, the McGinty ruling, uh, affirming Rose's authority, which is, Almost a moot point at this point, but it's not only is it a moot point, but their argument that they were singled out and that they're being picked on. It, that's part of their argument. That's gone. So. This is the reason New York State has a statewide ban right now. And and it and I do have to say it does stand alone because the six or seven other states that have them passed them through their their legislature. And, you know, what? I hope that the New York state legislature does codify this ban in state law. I just don't have a whole lot of confidence in that. I know how politics works and I know how divided New York state is. Yeah. it's It's got a democratic majority and a democratic governor, but you know, that governor has not exactly been um, much of a, an ally to native people, anything but. So I think the, uh, there is a bill that's been crafted and it's and it's floated around um the the legislature but it's it's never really moved but i would I would love to see Cambridge or i mean New York state codify this in law you know it's it's funny because in maine Maine had passed a law to um to prohibit native mascots, but they didn't do it until the last school retired it until scohegan had retired its mascot, which was a, you know, a major, you know, fight, the, the, the basis of a of a movie called, if you get a chance, check out Fighting Indians. But it, when Scohegan finally, uh, that board finally got rid of the, the mascot, then the main legislature passed the law. So there's no problem with passing all after the fact. And, you know, and frankly, l- like I said, if I was a big advocate of of the political process, I would say, you know, by all means, New York State, you know, codify this, this ban. But I knew that this commissioner, that this New York State Department of Education had the authority to do this. And my frustration was that they hadn't, that they, that they essentially let 20 years of silence go by since Commissioner Mills issued the, uh, the directive in, in 2001. I mean, and that's irresponsible. I mean, I'm sorry. That's just irresponsible. I'm not putting it on Rosa. I don't know how long she's been the commissioner, but and I'm sure there's been several between Mills and her. I mean, it's that's a 20-year period. But I'm glad they did it, um, and I will take some credit or, or blame, whichever you prefer, for it happening. And, and I say this because, look, we didn't have a whole lot to uh, you know to cheer about in our special month. We saw you know Texas challenging you know the Indian Child Welfare Act being uh, before the Supreme Court, where there may be this conservative court ruling and and reducing Native people to a mere race, to racializing our existence instead of acknowledging sovereignty, autonomy, and distinction. So that could be a big problem. Um, we you know we invariably get get buried by you know the myths of Thanksgiving. We also get inundated with you know because of Veterans' Day being in November, this whole idea that native people are such you know patriotic Americans because we enlist in the armed forces, which I think is crap so we also get reduced as relics of the past i mean it's 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 dubbed. National Native American Heritage Month. So it's about looking at our past. And look, Native people are, are really popular when it comes to feathers and dance and, you know, this idea of our spirituality. We see how Disney, you know, re, um, represents, you know, Pocahontas with talking trees and, and, you know, communing with animals and that kind of stuff. Yeah, people love that about Native people. But they don't love it so much when we stand up and say, look, you can't call yourselves Indians on your football team you can't run a pipeline you know across the river that's going to impact our lives when we stand up and we resist and we assert that we are still here and when we tell some truth of history about the dakota 38 being executed at the hands of of abraham lincoln or uh, you know or 200 years of residential schools where children were were brutalized in an attempt to 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 wipe us out as a people, as a distinct people. When we raise all of these issues, yeah, we're not, we're not that popular when we do this stuff. Look, I know some of you who listen to this program like to hear the history. But you know there's a whole lot of people who don't. And that's why we have this debate over things like critical race theory. It's funny because one of the efforts that uh, that have been, has been employed in terms of trying to justify using native mascots was this campaign they called Educate, Not Eradicate, which is where they would add more native um, history, again, history, to their their um, school's curricula as a way to justify keeping a mascot. The problem is you're still going to have somebody else producing what that history is. You're not going to have native people telling, uh, telling you some of those truths. You're going to have... The version, that the same one that was used to create this myth of Thanksgiving. You're going to talk about code talkers and and high rates of enlistment. You're going to talk about how wonderful it is that Deb Haaland got, uh, you know, got a cabinet position. You're not going to talk about the struggle. You're not going to talk about the struggle even in the past or bring that struggle to to where we are today, because we are still under attack. I mean, we, we saw that with with the New York State governor, Kathy Hochul. Squeezing half a billion dollars out of, you know, out of the much-needed resources of the Seneca Nation. We see it all the time. And it's not just Republicans. Kathy Hochul is a Democrat. We are under constant assault. The Supreme Court hearing uh, the, the ICWA challenge. We, when we do, even when we get a ruling in our favor, like, you know, like, uh, the McGirt ruling in Oklahoma that declares that so much of it was, uh, you know, of, of Oklahoma is is still native lands. You get the governor of the of the state of Oklahoma who is an enrolled Cherokee trying to do everything he can to undermine that. This is what we go through. And this is what our constant battle is. We can't get this governor to sign the the unmarked, um, uh, Burial Sites Protection Act. And I don't know if that's related to the fact that that she took $400 million from the Seneca Nation and turned around and gave it to the the owner of the Buffalo Bills for a new stadium and doesn't want to have to have any hang-ups with what what they might find when they do that excavation for a, a massive new stadium. I don't know. I mean, just sign the bill. The legislature already passed it. But this is the stuff that we still experience. So... I am glad to report <laughs> that we, we have something to be pleased over in our special month. New York State has banned the use of native mascots in all high schools throughout the state. So that's my show. I want to thank you for listening. I'm John Kane. Please do support WPFW. I'll give the, uh, the pledge line real quick. It's 202 588 9739 or go online to WPFWDC.org slash donate and support this fine radio station and uh, show them that you appreciate them giving me space on their broadcast grid. Uh, thanks for listening. I'm John Kane, and this is Resistance Radio.